This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. We're not making music in hopes that we're making the type of music that people will listen to. We're just in our garage jamming, and it sounds good. People will naturally organically like that because you're just creating something from an organic place, not because you're you're trying to manufacture it, right? Yeah, so. and I think there's so many different, really like different details in business and like so many idiosyncrasies where you're like, you really can't, just because that works for this, that doesn't mean it works for this. It's like, you really have to just kind of feel it out for yourself. Like there really is not a playbook. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Real Real Podcast. I am Natalie Barbu, your host, and I'm calling in or <laughs> I selling like on a radio show, like calling in somewhere. I am speaking on the mic, recording this intro from Charlotte, North Carolina. If you hear any sniffing in the background, you know, it's just Bambino because I cannot go anywhere without him when I'm home. He follows me around literally everywhere and he's like my little child. So I, I feel like that's not annoying though, because it's like a cute little dog that you're going to hear in the background. So I think it's fine. But anyways, I'm super excited to talk about today's episode and I wanted to fill you guys in a little bit on my life before diving into the episode because if you guys have not seen, my house renovation video is up on my channel, which I'm so excited to share because it's been so highly anticipated and it's just been something that's been in the works obviously for a year. I actually think in November is when I first took a tour of the house and I put my offer in in November. We closed on the house in January and the house was done, I believe, at like the end of July or in the middle of July. I think it was like mid to end July. We sold the house already. Everything's been done. And then the video just went up. So if you guys are curious about my house renovation, you want to see the before and after. It's actually insane. It's like literally a new house. It looks unrecognizable. Then I definitely recommend going and checking it out on my YouTube channel. But also I want to do an episode all about the house renovation journey here on my podcast. So I want to have my sister on. I want to talk about the home renovation. Maybe I'll even have like my mom on because she did a lot of it too. But I think that would be really fun. I'm going to do like a budget video on my YouTube. So definitely let me know if you want me to do one of those like renovation podcasts and the questions you have. And I'm going to do like a breakdown of the budget on my YouTube channel. Like it's just gonna be great. So super excited for that because I feel like my home reno stuff kind of lived on my YouTube channel. I did not talk about it that much on the podcast, but I want to do a whole video dedicated to it in case anyone is looking to renovate their house or renovate a home or just honestly curious. I feel like so many people are just curious because it's something that they might potentially want to do or they just want to learn a little bit more about it. So I want to be that resource for you. Um, so I'm super excited about that because the house sold officially, which has been great. 
and the video went up and the response has been really great. And I just feel like an HGTV channel um, with with my house, like with the house tour and everything like that. And I would love to do more of them. So my next step is to find a home in Florida and actually purchase that and potentially Airbnb it. So do like a smaller renovation because this one I will say was a huge renovation and it was a little more expensive than I had originally liked. So I still made a profit off of it and it was still a great investment, but it was definitely more expensive than I would like because it's like when you do something like this big, all your money is pretty much wrapped into it. So if I were to obviously lose that money, that would have been like so much of my money, you know? So I really put like all my eggs in one basket when it came to this. So very excited to talk all about that though on the podcast episode and on my YouTube channel. But just so you know, I'm going to self-promo it on here because I think that it looks really cool and it looks great. And I'm just so happy that I can kind of start focusing on the next project. And the next one will be a little bit more like tropical vacation-y since it'll be in Florida. Um, But I'm super excited about that. I want to do a segment called Feels Over Reels. And you guys know this segment. I've done it multiple times on my podcast. I usually ask my guests these questions, but I kind of wanted to get in my feels a little bit. And one thing I just wanted to say is I'm feeling a little bit, I don't know what the right word is if it's to say like discouraged or confused or I guess seeking answers because of my just like health, I guess you could say. So I just recently got blood work done and I'm testing hormones, vitamins, and also just any food allergies because my stomach gets really upset all the time. So I just feel like I don't have answers. Like I feel like my skin has been breaking out a lot. My stomach has been upset. I'm just feeling a little bit more tired. So I definitely think it's something internal going on and I just want to get my blood work done. I want to, you know, make sure that everything is looking good. And I've also been on birth control for 10 years now, which it's been quite some time. So I just want to see like potentially the journey off of birth control. So if I do that, I'll definitely fill you in also. But I guess I'm in my feels a little bit with being like, what the heck is wrong with me? Like what, what's going on internally? Can we figure it out? Because I'm feeling just a little bit off lately. And I've been listening to a lot more podcasts about like hormone health and gut health. And I've been reading all about that as well. There's actually a book I want to read all about your gut. So I've just been trying to live a healthier lifestyle, incorporating more foods, supplements, but having it be very personal to me, which is why I wanted to get blood work done. Because I think like you can say like take all of these supplements, but like what if my body isn't properly absorbing them? Then I'm literally just wasting money and like peeing it out, you know? So I want to make sure that everything looks good on the inside and kind of go from there. So I want to talk about that journey a little bit more once I'm obviously a little bit more into it. But I guess I'm in my feels in that because it's kind of like obviously when when you feel like something's wrong, but you don't know what is wrong, it can get a little confusing and a little frustrating. So that's where I'm at right now. And I want to keep it real on here on the Real Real Podcast. So if any of you have felt that way before or are going through that too, I'd love to connect on my Instagram. So you can just DM me and be like, I feel you. I'm going through it too. And we can talk about it together because I definitely think that I'm not alone in this, but like people don't ever talk about it. So 
I will fill you in on my journey. This intro is kind of all over the place in the sense that none of it connects to the actual episode. <laughs> so I am so excited because I am interviewing the founders of Goriana Jewelry. And I feel like everyone has heard of Goriana or at least seen it on the shelves, seen it online, seen your favorite Instagram influencers wearing it and tagging it. But I'm a huge jewelry fan. And I'm a fan of very, very, very simple jewelry. So like a classic gold necklace, gold hoops, some studs, some some little like cuffs around your ear. Um, just I wear the same jewelry all the time. And I'm such a fan of those like simple statement pieces that you can wear literally every single day. And it's that jewelry just like elevates any outfit. So even if I'm wearing like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, I still have on like gold hoops or like a cute little gold chain necklace. And I think that jewelry just makes you look put together. Like you could literally look like crap, but like have on some gold hoops and it's a look like I do that literally all the time. But I have been so curious to hear more about the industry. And I was super excited to be connected with Goriana and Jason Griffin Rydell, who are the founders of Goriana. Their jewelry is incredibly beautiful. And I literally want to buy everything on their website. They also are some of my favorite people that I've interviewed. They have so much positive energy just completely flowing out of them. And like, I was so inspired at the end of this call and at the end of our Zoom. And I don't think you understand, like some podcasts just leave me rejuvenated and they make me want to re-listen to the podcast. They make me want to take notes. They make me want to work right away. And this was definitely one of them. So I think that you guys are really going to like it. I mean, you can just trust me, but you'll hear it in the interview. I also got a kick out of their origin story because they could not get your typical job. Like, Their origin story is not the typical, like, you know, I just like worked for a corporate company and then I started this. Like, no, no, no. They weren't the people that you would expect to start this mega successful company. But I think it actually helped them and it led to that advantage that pushed them to think outside of the box and start this business. I just love the like the business owner that, you know, doesn't have that typical like degree in business or, you know, wasn't working for like a Fortune 500 company and they're kind of like the underdogs, but yet they made it and like, look at them now. I mean, they were not getting hired anywhere. So they kind of just started this business because of that. And now look at what it's become. They have never looked back and they both possess that entrepreneurial spirit that we speak about so often on the podcast and which I personally am always drawn to. And the company's brand continues to grow and they have retail stores popping up all over the States. They also make it a top priority to get back to the community and they lead from a place of authenticity and intuition. And you are going to love them so much. Like both of them are just a power couple. In today's episode, we dive into the flaws in financial modeling, tips for employee retention and creating a family style company culture, how to lead a business by trusting your instincts and intuition and why COVID has created more of a natural creative flow for their company. I'm super excited to get into this episode. So let's just dive in. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is 
the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to theouai.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's theouai.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hi, thanks so much for coming on my podcast, you guys. Hey, thank you. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you having us. I'm super excited to be chatting with you. Before we get into the topics, I always like starting with setting the record straight. So this is some stereotypes, some assumptions, and then you will let me know if they're true or false. So the first one is that every day is different when you're a business owner. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were kind yeah. of talking about it before how we, like this week has been like a hectic week for you guys. Yeah. And, oh yeah, like, every day. Yeah, yeah our kids went back yeah. to school. It's yeah. like, we're like, yeah. If I could take that further, yeah. I would say every day as a business owner is different. And during COVID, it's been like playing Jumanji because every day <laughs> you're not quite sure like what very weird thing is going to happen. And you just, you know, all of a sudden there's elephants running through your dining room and you just have to kind of adapt. Yeah. yeah. And that could be like every hour is different during COVID. Yeah. yeah that's true too. I feel like they're all different, but they like blend together at the same time because you're like working and living at home and like there's not that separation. Totally. So totally. It can, be, it can be hard. Are you guys back in your office? 
no, and we're not going back. Oh, that's, that's exciting. So yeah, we've like permanently decided, you know, I think all of our employees are so much happier having the work-life balance and our office is here. If someone needs to come in, if they need the space from home, you know, like, you know, I know some people have kids and they're like, okay, you know what? I need to like get out and get some quiet time. So we have that. We've sort of turned it more into like a we work space where like everyone, you know, there's not like a signed desk. You can just kind of come in when you want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're definitely not going back to that. Yeah. As I said, it's funny because we had these, when we first started growing, we, our first space was this little, these artist studios in the Canyon of Laguna. And we spent 10 years combining them all to make like one big office. And now we just kind of went back to the original roots where they're like these individual artist studios and they all have separate doors and it's, they're connected, but yet they give people the privacy that they want to go in like to Grant's point and have a resident desk to work. And, but we've abandoned it all kind of formality of, you know, this is my desk and that's your desk and we're having meetings and all that stuff is all out the window. Yeah, no, I, I like that better. I feel like in a creative business, it's honestly a little bit better to have that less structure in the office. So I feel like it's probably yeah. more efficient anyways. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like, well, we have a meeting every Monday at 10. And it's like, sometimes it'd be productive and sometimes it wasn't. And I think we're just realizing there's so much more value and just letting things flow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's nothing to talk about on Monday at 10 o'clock. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's a lot to talk about on Thursday at three o'clock. And we're just kind of letting the and I think COVID did bring a lot of that on because it was just it was like you really had to abandon all planning because there was no playbook and and any kind of plan you had was gonna get pretty much destroyed pretty quickly. Yeah, okay. we've learned very quickly. Like we definitely have our like daily calls that like it's a lot easier to like get on a Google call and be like, okay, no one has anything goodbye than like everyone meeting into a room and everyone move. It's like it's just so much more productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The next one is you have to learn to adapt when you run a business. <laughs> True. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> How about again, again, these are great questions because they're I mean, literally, <laughs> I mean, I think you're kind of hitting the crutch of like being an entrepreneur, right? And we always say like adapt or die, right? Billy being this kind of money ball thing. It truly is. Like if you don't adapt, forget it. You're not going to, you will not yeah. make it at all. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear about like your changes and like kind of where you guys started compared to like what the business is yeah. like now. Oh, yeah. geez. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always, and I always say, it's funny you say that too, because I always say like, if I woke up this morning and I was running the company five years ago, I, I wouldn't know how to run it mm-hmm. I, because you, you, because it, it's not because there's not like, because change isn't just this linear thing where you're going, going up and it's better. It's just change. Change is yeah. change. And th- I think it's about, I think part of it is what, what, what's going to drive your you're, you're being adaptive. Right. And I think for us, it's like, we just never really are ever comfortable. We never wake up and go, Oh, okay. Everything's great. It's, Mm -hmm. it's almost more like, all right, how can I improve? And we don't look at improvements as a negative thing. We look at it as a way of saying, look, if if, if the fact that we get up every day and have things to improve is an opportunity to grow, which we're grateful for. I mean, if one day we wake up and there's nothing to improve, then we're probably done with our, you know, our work of art, but that has yet to happen. <laughs> I think it's also not setting. I think for me, the adaptability really comes to like setting expectations and not. I've if there's anything I've learned is that like how I think I'm gonna feel when I get to a certain point is usually never how I feel when I get there. True. <laughs> so I feel like saying you know oh this is the goal and then sometimes you end up like blindly pushing towards a goal and like maybe you know halfway through you're like that doesn't even feel right but you just keep going it's like such a bad thing to do it's really 
so important to have these like self check-ins and be like, does this feel right? Like, does it, am I getting a lot of resistance? Like even for me, I learned like early on, I learned with designs even like we would be like, oh, you know, what about this collection? And we would try to do it. And like, it just would, we kept hitting these blocks and I, I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, if we start hitting so many blocks, we just need to move on. Like that's mm-hmm. not meant to happen right now. Let's move on to the next. Because like, usually if we ended up pushing through, it just most likely was always not what we anticipated and some sort of disaster. You have to really be open to that and like really in tune with yourself, which is very hard to listen to your intuition and your gut, but be like, okay, something doesn't feel right. We need to adjust. We need to move. We need to like adapt here. Yeah. Just being flexible. I feel like is one of the most important aspects of an entrepreneur. Honestly, like you have to you can't be married to like your first idea because it's probably going to change. <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. We were just having this conversation actually with our kids because Gorya and I both moved around a ton as kids. You know, I, I was just talking to my kids last night. Like I lived in 10 different houses across like six or seven different states. And Goriana was moving different countries from Europe to Canada to the US. And so, and as challenging as that was like growing up, I, I think it kind of got instilled in both of us that, just to not get comfortable and to be all right with that. Yeah, it's okay if there's change, yeah. Because you eventually will get comfortable in it. Like it feels weird at first and then you're like, okay, it'll be fine. You'll get Mm -hmm. through it. Right. And then the next one is that scaling a business takes a lot of time. Oh my God, you're killing these. (laughs) Oh my God, this is that, I've never literally heard three. Okay, now you're at risk of your fourth answer or your fourth question. No, this is the last last one of the segment. I mean, you literally, you nailed it because I mean, I say all, like literally nailed it because I say all the time, I mean, we're such like naturally impatient people, right? And and, um, and I, I remember like we were five years in, you're like, why is this not taking off? You know, what is our tipping point? And and then you're 10 years in and you're like, why is this never going to happen? You know, and you get 15 years in and you're like, and it's just, it takes time. I say that all the, I, I mean, I, I say it repeatedly. Someone could say, give you everything, you know, you have all the branding, you know, all the contacts you have, all the designs, you have everything. And here's a bunch of money, go build another business. And it's like, okay, cool. But it takes time. It's yeah. just the reality, the reality of it. It does. And I don't think you know that till later. You know, I remember meeting someone early on and I told, we were like 10 years in. I'm like, this is just taking so long. He's like, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, 10 years. He's like, you're barely starting. Like, <laughs> you don't really know. And look at great brands, especially in brands, right? Look at great brands, big brands, not even just in fashion, but in any industry. They've been around for most of them 50 or 100 years. I mean, it takes a long time to build a brand. And that's yeah. been our goal is to build a brand. You know, to go out and build a business and just sell product, sure that you can find some early success, but to build a brand, oh, it takes a lot, whatever. And however much time you think it takes, just go ahead and double or triple it. Cause that's what yeah. it And know. I think today people are like only see the successful stories, you know, they'll see it when it's already yeah. been like 15, 20, 30 years later and it makes it look so easy, but like yeah, yeah. you don't see the behind the scenes. We get that all the time. People are like, oh my gosh, you guys blew up. And I'm like, no, we didn't blow up. We're like, yeah. a, we're like a turtle. <laughs> like crossing, you know, we've been inching across the road for years now. And, and, and you're right. They, we all do that. We, you know, we say mm-hmm. that we see that often with musicians, often with, you know, uh, people in entertainment actors, all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's actors everywhere. And you're like, yeah, they are. But like, if you went back and did the research and like really looked up that actor, like they've been honing their craft for 10 years and they were doing plays off Broadway before you knew who they were. Right. 
Yeah. And there are people and there are brands and there are businesses that, you know, have a very fast start. We call that jumping the shark. Yeah. But they also are seem to be <laughs> the majority of them though, then seem to be like a flash in the pan. Like they're like really popular and it's like everywhere and then everyone's over it and they're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's something, you know, I think like slow and steady, like if you really want to be in like the game for a while, like you do need to take your time and, you know, learn and make mistakes and move forward. And sometimes when those companies do grow really fast, it's so chaotic that inevitably they end up making mistakes and going out of business or the pro, you know, sometimes I've seen even product wise, like companies that come out and you're like, everyone's wearing it. And you're like, Oh my God, it's everywhere. What happened? How does this happen? You know, and everyone thinks, Oh God, I wish that, but then talk to me in two years when everyone's like, I'm over that. That was like bad and it was a trend and it was great really fast right then. And then it's over. And then those people can't reinvent themselves. So it's like, there's, I don't know. We had that envy early on, you know, like when we were first doing trade shows and we were just in this little 10 by 10 booth and you'd, I mean, we watched brands blow up in front of, you know, like really get big in front of us. And, you know, from in a matter of quick period of time two 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 years or under, and to Grant's point, you're, I mean, you're envious of it. And you're like, gosh, you know, like they hit the lottery, but most of them burn out. There are very mm-hmm. few brands jump the shark and then sustain because I think the jumping the shark takes away your whole learning process of how to adapt and do the things you're talking about, right? Like, and I think that you, you only gain all that knowledge of being able to adapt and deal with a different challenge every day or be patient and all these things that you need to endure as an entrepreneur. If you actually, sw- I mean, I, we've been like basking in the, in the ocean with the sharks for 15 years. I mean, like, yeah, we're one with the shark. <laughs> right. I feel like that's the same kind of with social media too. There'll be these like social media stars that blow up or like a brand on social media will blow up. And it's like, yeah, that's, you think that that's common because like it's in your face and you see it, but 99% yeah. of other social media people or other brands are not blowing up at that pace. And then you'll look back, like you said, two years later and like, they're kind of irrelevant. So it's not, it's not something to envy. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that because I do think that it's so counterintuitive to what we are, what's happening with social media. And we're in this comparative society more than ever. And, and we always want to, we want to highlight successes. Mm-hmm. I think we don't do a good enough job in, in platforms of media of highlighting people's struggles is how you, I really think you can teach an entrepreneur that's like, you know, that, that wants to build their own business. Because if it just get around and talk about everything you did right, it, it makes it almost unrealistic. And totally. I think it's unfortunate we don't, we don't do a good enough job of that. And I think, yeah, I think to be able to, to highlight some of the, the struggles that people have had is, is, is a more opportune way for people to learn and say, okay, cool. Like, uh, wow, I'm, I'm not a failure. Like I made those mistakes as well. And just have a little bit more compassion to people for it. So, mm-hmm. No, I love that. I think it's such a great reminder for people because we are, like you said, in this comparative society where we're always comparing ourselves to totally. literally everyone else that's better than us. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've also had brands, you know, like I've tracked brands that you like, you get, you get envy of it and you like, oh my gosh, like how'd they get so big? And then they, when they do fail, like, and they're going through bankruptcy reorganization, their financials come out. You're like, whoa, they weren't doing so good. Like we thought they were doing good, but anybody can write that a company's doing good, but you don't right. ultimately know the health of that. Right. And yeah, so yeah. I think it can be a facade. And again, I get it. We want to talk about success. That's what sells. That's what's sexy, right? So success. Great. Everything was great. But I think COVID has really brought more of that. It's like, don't we want to just hear from people? Like I've seen so many of these posts, even in social where people are 
so much more motivated by hearing. In fact, we just did what post this on Sunday night. We did our post. It was our highest like post ever on social media for us. And it was just us. And one of the pictures in the, in the three pictures carousel was our apartment floor with everything on the apartment floor. It's like showing that humanization. You mm-hmm. see people, they post pictures of themselves untouched without makeup on. Like being, people have posting things about like being honest about their own insecurities. That is really, really, really the stuff that I think people are resonating with now more than ever, especially with COVID. So. Oh, I could not agree more. Like that's, it's so true, especially like just with social media, like people are wanting to see more realness um, and see more of like behind the scenes. And so I, I definitely agree with you on that. And I'm curious on what your background was before Goriana. So what did you guys do before jewelry? Were you always involved in jewelry? Did you want to start your own business or what was kind of your life like? No, um, well, we both majored in marketing <laughs> in college. <laughs> we were unsuccessful. Yeah, and then we both were doing like modeling and acting and like having these kind of like jobs. Like I worked at Neiman's like as an assistant manager in jewelry. That's actually how I got introduced to jewelry and sort of like one thing led to another. And then I went and worked for a jewelry designer and kind of like, you know, was like her assistant and learned the business. And then we sort of, it was like something that kind of fell into like my lap. And then we'd always talked about like, oh, it's so amazing for us to do something together. And this sort of was something that we were just supposed to do till we figured out what that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't like we had like a business plan and we were like, we're going to start this big jewelry brand. And that was our goal. It was like, oh, I, I mean, look, I have, I grow, I, I was born in Serbia, lived you know, around my grandmothers and my mom who all like, they were always like making stuff. It was always like DIY, like hand crocheting, knitting, whatever. So I was, that was sort of ingrained in, in me at a young age. So I never was intimidated by that. And I think that's why jewelry was sort of easy for me. Cause I was like, no, I can do this. I can, I can wire wrap. I can make this stuff on my own. And that sort of that gift that I had, I guess, of not being intimidated by it was kind of what led us to this. And then it just sort of was like, honestly, like very slow steps, like, oh, okay. Then we, I did like, I made everything myself. And then I started getting my family to make it. So it was like, I can't keep up. And then it was like, okay, I need to find someone else to make it. And then we find our first manufacturer. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is kind of working. And, and Jason, like, I was so scared to like call stores. I was so intimidated. I thought it was, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is like the worst thing. Like it was like my biggest nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> and Jason was like, I'll do it. I'll, you know, he's like, I can totally help you. And so he like would, and it just sort of like evolved organically and naturally. And I don't know, we're like, yeah. And I think we had the really, we were very fortunate and like, you know, so much of it is luck, but I always say we were also very fortunate, like that we didn't have jobs. We weren't, we hadn't stuck to anything. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and as that was, you know, and then you'd get the fear of like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go get a job, but we'd go to get a job. And people would look at our resumes and be like, you haven't worked in like a year. Like, I'm not hiring you. And then, and then the further that distance started getting created, it was like two years in, you're like, I can't even get a job right now if I wanted one. So we were total, like we, we benefited so much from the sink or swim. Like I often think about, I have a lot of friends or people who come to me and they have great careers and they're doing very well and they're sustaining themselves financially. And they're like, they want to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh, geez, like. How do, you, yeah, how do you jump off of that? Like I have so much admiration for these people that do that and they kind of have a job and they're building a business. I mean, we just didn't have that. We didn't have any success to kind of to draw us away from us putting our energy into this. 
Yeah. So yeah. So were you expecting it to be like this big business that you rely no. on or <laughs> God no. God no. No. It was literally like if this just lets me live another day and and not and did not have to have a job and I can like we can eat and pay our bills and like yeah. and we were scrubbing. I mean, listen, I it, it sounds dramatic, but going back to that picture everyone liked on the apartment floor. I mean, we were on the apartment floor. Like there were times you didn't have we were driving around selling jewelry in a car. We had no car insurance, we didn't have gas money, like had the electricity, the internet shirt off a couple of times, you know, like I mean, we were, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, our families and our friends didn't really understand. They were like, just go get a job. What's wrong with mm-hmm. you guys? You know? And, and, um, and, and so, but no, we certainly didn't think like, wow, this is going to, it was just a means to an end. And when 2008 happened, it was interesting because we had been in business for a bit and it was, it was working. And then when 2008 happened in the first kind of economic crash, like from the real estate fallout, it was like, oh, we're done. Like this mm-hmm. is over. The guy was literally, I remember having a conversation with Goriana and her sister at the time was working for us as well. And I was like, we should probably all start to go look for a job, you know? And, uh, and unless you guys want to just try and ride this out. And they were like, no, let's just ride it out. Let's see what happens. And then they, we grew, it was weird. We grew in 2009 and 2010, we kept growing. So it was like, okay, like, let's just keep doing it. So. I mean, that's also like really impressive though, that you didn't even plan for it to be like this big company or, you know, it was really just a means to an end for you. And with that, like how then like your very first economic crash, your very first pivot at that moment, were you thinking like, this is it, like we need to be done with this and like figure out something else. Or like, were you super invested in staying with it and like making it grow? Cause you, you already then saw the potential that it could grow. You know, what I think is interesting because I, I think we, uh, uh, Goriana might have a different perspective, but for me, because we never really thought it was something, I was always kind of like, I was into it, but I was also like, but we could go do something else. So I never got too attached to it. And by not being attached and even going back to like what Brian said about expectations, I think we never set these high expectations. And so they were always kind of met or exceeded, mm-hmm. right? I don't think until COVID hit was the first, very first time where I got, and it was a good thing. It was like a rush of adrenaline where I was like, this could literally like the train could really, the train fully could come off the tracks here. <laughs> like, yeah. And and then it was a little scary because they're like, and if it does, like we spent 15 years going this direction, you know, we're not kids that are 20 years old anymore. So it's like, how do we, what will this be? You know, mm-hmm. and that was the first real time, but that's because everyone was going through that. And that was only comfort with COVID was everyone was going through the same thing. It wasn't like, my business is about to fail, but everyone else is succeeding. It was like, everybody might fail right now. Mm-hmm. And so that, I don't know, Gloria, how you felt during the ups and downs of things, but you know. Yeah, I, I was always like, okay, this is kind of scary, but let's see what it does. Let's see how yeah. much far we can go. So it was like, like just open to the path in a way. Like I was like, okay, like we'll either be supported here or we won't. And we'll figure, we'll realize that when that happens. And then to, I guess, to my surprise, it was, I was like, oh no, we're being supported. Like this is, this business is like, we're, it's going, it's moving. And, and it's funny because we did our new year's resolutions this year. And I said, like, one of the things I was most grateful for was like the business. And I really look at it like it's its own, it's really its own energy and entity for always supporting us and always supporting all of our employees and just like growing. It's like its own sort of like being that, you know, it's almost like its own child. It's like our, our first kind of like baby, but it's like grown up and it's always there and doing that. And it's, it's kind of cool now to step back and see like all like the ups and downs we've gone through, but truly have been able to like navigate them and 
have the business kind of supported along the way. I mean, I know that it was kind of a, it was a very slow growth, but how did it grow? Like, how did you get your first customers? Like, what was your marketing? Yeah. So we started with just going door to door to boutiques. Like that was, you know, it was the kind of boutique boom at the time. It was, um, what yeah, it was new. That whole model was new, right? It was 2004, that, right? No, no. Yeah. That model, yeah. right. of yeah. 2004, 2005, 2006 was backed partly by the economic boom before the crash of 2008. And it was all premium denim. It was like that denim brands. And all of a sudden it became a really great idea to open a boutique in a town and carry all these cool brands that you picked up at trade shows in New York and LA. And the reason why that worked at the time too, is because no one had websites. Like you, no one was really Mm -hmm. doing commerce on their own. So like have, you know, these really cool boutiques or smaller boutiques in these. And they like, to use this point, they were in every town, like all, all across. So it was, and these brands didn't have their own retail either. No. Like, like I bought my first, my, my first rag and bone jacket I ever bought was a, a, a trench coat. And it was a, a bought at a boutique store called Blue Bee and State Street in Santa Barbara. That's yeah. my mm-hmm. first introduction to the brand rag and bone. Rag and bone didn't have stores. They didn't have a website. They, no one knew who they were. They weren't even carried in department stores. At that I mean, you had a website, but it was like very faux pas to sell it to e-commerce yourself. And it was just really like a, like a billboard sort of like people could come and look and see kind of what you're about, but you definitely weren't selling anything on it. And so that's really where we started. And then we got, I don't know what year, what, like, I don't know how soon after that we actually started selling on our website, but that was so small too. So really it was predominantly like a wholesale business for a really long time. Yeah. We didn't open and, our first store till five years ago. Yeah. So um, we, yeah. So then, and then e-commerce obviously grew and grew and grew as like, obviously just like online shopping and everything kind of grew. So it sort of like evolved as we, as a society evolved with accepting like ordering online and all that kind of stuff. There was this location here. We live in Laguna Beach and there was a location that we always drove by and we never planned on opening our own store really. It wasn't like something that like wasn't like a goal for us. And we kind of on a whim were like, oh, you know, if that ever opened up, that'd be the such a great location for a store. And we literally, a taco place opened up next door and we were going to get tacos and tr- like check it out. and we were walking by, I'm like, oh my God, that's his release. And we just sort of were like, yeah, that feels right. And it made no <laughs> sense. Like it made yeah. literally zero sense. And, like, I called, and I remember I called the number and the guy's like, oh, hey, we already got all these people interested. I was like, no, 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 no. Like I want to open a store here. And he's like, we're, we're, and he's like, well, okay. So I come, this guy comes over to our, our studio space, like uh, the next day. And he's like, yeah, I got all these people interested. And I was like, okay, cool. Just bring a lease. And we just signed a lease. Literally. Oh my God. <laughs> like in one day. Like 15 minutes. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. And then I remember going, Tanya, who's our, our COO, who's been with our company pretty much the whole time and is really the tripod to what the, the three of us run the company. And she, and I just remember going to her and like threw the keys on her desk and I was like, okay, we're doing retail. <laughs> she was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, here we yeah, go. Everyone's like, we we started at least in February. Doing? We thought we were going to be open in May. We didn't get open until September. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cause we didn't know even that we had no idea how to build a store or the process of design review or any, or hiring employees. We knew nothing, nothing. We just kind of rolled with it. That was only five years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, 
Yeah, literally, like Jason I mean, and I had to go to like to the Laguna Beach City Council meeting to ask for approval because we had to like rezone it. It was like this whole thing, and it was like just it was like such a little like learning thing. experience on a whim, yeah. also. Yeah, on a whim, a hundred percent. And it was just something we were like, you know, I just, I mean, the reason for us we did it is because we were like, you know, we live in this town. This town really represents like where we're from, and there's it's such an obviously big tourist town, and a lot of our customers like that we did meet were like, oh, we love Laguna, we go in business. We're like, what a great place for someone to come in and really interact with the brand from our perspective, and like really kind of get to see it. And that's really what it was supposed to be. It was like our little like we thought maybe we'd have like a single little store in Laguna and that would be it. And see if we could do some of the things that we've never been in control of, right? Like we've only ever been in control of product. And then online, you're in charge of your content and marketing. But it was like, how will we do when we're in charge of like store aesthetic, uh, merchandising, uh, customer service, product knowledge, uh, customer service, like, how will we do with all those things? And, and, you know, and there were a lot to learn. I mean, there's retail is, geez, and there's so many things you've got to do right to do it correct and to do it well. And, uh, but then we kind of figured it out through a lot of mistakes and trial and error. And then it was kind of going along. And it wasn't until another whole year later that we opened our second store, which was in Venice. But then we kind of cut like, just like anything, kind of got that gained that momentum and that confidence of like, okay, like we did one, we could do two. And then it was like, okay, we did two, we could do three. I mean, like we're going to end this year with 25. So it's wow. like, you know, it kind of just snowballed. Yeah. Really. But, That's insane. How quickly did you grow in terms of like your team? Like, was it just YouTube for a while? Or like, or when did you start adding people onto your team to help you out? Yeah, that's, it was, you know, I think that I remember the, one of the uh, first people we ever hired, going back to the beginning of this business, there's a specialty boutique we work with uh, in Vermont. And it's funny because we still do specialty business because we still believe it's very important to support these, these independently owned boutiques and they carry our product. I just saw that they, this store in Vermont, they place an order yesterday, like yesterday or the day before. So they're still around. This is like 15 years we've been working with this account. And this is when it was just Coriana and I, and I would chat and talk to the buyer. And so I was talking to this girl. She was like a manager of the store. And she said, I'm moving out to California. And I was like, her name was Caitlin. And she would end up being our first employee. And I was like, okay, well, when you get out here, you know, like, I want you to meet you. I want to meet you. And like, we're, we're thinking about hiring someone. And so she came and we met and she was like, well, what would I do here? And I was like, I have no idea. You would just do like everything, like everything, anything and everything. everything. Right? It was like, we're just kind of yeah. loose. And that was kind of the first employee. It was just like fill in and do and, and, and do whatever that we can, you know? And I think that's another mistake that people make as entrepreneurs is they think they've got to build these big teams out. And it's like, do as much as you can until you're literally busting at the scene, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so that's kind of how it was. And, and even Tanya, going back to her, our COO, I mean, she was also a buyer of a three chain boutique store uh, in Orange County and uh, had, uh, was doing it while she was in college. And I remember talk, trying to talk her to leave college and come work for us. And she's like, no, 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 you know, I'll wait till, let me finish to get my degree. She called me when she had her degree and she came on. And she's been with the company, like again, over 12 years and is our COO as her first job out of school. That entrepreneurial, like we just do whatever you need to do to get it done. No one has, like, obviously we didn't have egos. We were like, okay, I'm shipping boxes today. I'm doing this today. Like, whatever needs to get done, gets done. We really have tried to kind of stick to that when we are and our most successful like employees and people that we work with have that same mentality. Like no one's above anything. Like if you need to help some with something or, I mean, there were times where all of a sudden like the website was going crazy and like all of a sudden everyone's like shipping e-com orders, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like years ago. So it's like that sort of, you know, mentality of, 
people coming in and being like, yeah, we're here and we're here to support. And yes, I know what my role is, but like if someone else needs help, I'm here to help is such a huge thing for us. And, so, and I'm so proud of that. Like yeah, our head yeah. of product, Lizette, I mean, she's been with our company 11 years. Like we have Michelle and our, and our customer service and supply chain department just came, came on our 11th year with us. Like our production manager, Lauren, has been with us over 10 years. Like that is to me the epitome of like building a company because it's you're building a family, right? And they stick to it and they grow with it and it becomes so much more. That's the most valuable thing I think in the entire business is connecting people in like that. Yeah. And I mean, you guys seem to have really great like retention and seem to be like a very great family when you are running this business. Do you have like management tips or anything? Because I know if you, you didn't come from business background. So like, how did you right. kind of learn to, to manage a team or did it just so that's flow been naturally? Really hard. Like I yeah. will say like, for me, like I really, I hate it when someone calls me their boss. Like I don't yeah. even like that term. I'm like, what do you mean? Like it just, and that's been really hard. I think that's been the most challenging part of growing is the like management and employees and all that, because it is this different dynamic and you just, you know, we've definitely, I mean, I will speak for myself. I've definitely fumbled my way through oh, it. Oh, God. God. I mean, that's I've had not, so many failures in that area. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and like what I'm saying to you, like that we do have some really great people that, we, you know, that have worked out and that are like part of the family, but we've also had a lot that have come through where we've just misjudged and we're like, this is not a fit and they aren't going to work. And it ends up being very chaotic for everyone else. And so, yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is probably listen to your gut. There's a lot of people when you interview and it seems like, oh, you're like, oh, this is great. And it's like on paper seems amazing. And then there's something usually within one of us or all of us that there's like some little red flag that we all overlooked because we were like, oh, no, no, no. But like, on this seems like a great fit. But when you feel it out, if it doesn't feel right, just don't do it. It's not worth it. It ends up being so chaotic and so destructive. And one person can truly change a dynamic beyond. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably different now, I will say, because yeah. you're not sharing space and you're not with people five days a week. And so we're definitely more independent, but almost the pressure is then to find people that you know, are going to come in, you're going to trust and understand that like they're responsible adults and have to like work on their own. No one's like babysitting them and all of that. But I think, you know, yeah, just listen to your gut because it, you can definitely on paper get completely steered in the wrong direction and rationalize a lot of hiring decisions. And um, that is just never works out. Yeah. I I feel like you guys are good at you know, listening to your gut, trusting your intuition, like even from the beginning of your business, that's kind of been like a theme of like, okay, we're just going to go for it. We're just going to listen. We're going to sign the lease. You know, it's a lot of like gut feelings, which I think really rarely steer you wrong. I feel like a lot of times with like business plans, like a 20 page business plan, you know, people get so in their head or like they think that they have to have this like huge financial model and it's gonna, like, it has to work out exactly that way. But I think people underestimate just like, honestly, a gut feeling and like how you feel about the business, because clearly, I mean, it works. Yeah. And you're nailing that again, is such an important point that like even just came to revelation, I think more so with COVID because you follow your instincts and then you think you have to do these things that other, like even in retail, we started doing it. It's like, oh, well now we have 10 stores. We have to do this and that. And when we reopened our first store during the quarantine was, was in Scottsdale and and it was the only store reopened at the time. And I told everyone, I was like, we get the chance to go back to being, being a one store retailer. 
And all we found is that we reverted back to a lot of simplistic things that we were instinctively doing that we got away from. And even that, we got rid of sales plans and budgets and all these things that we thought we had to do because you're told you have to do them and you kind of cave in and you stop, to your point, following your instincts. So I think it's the challenge is, you know, I think an entrepreneur ultimately probably has to even have an instinct of some sort to start. The, the danger is when you start to abandon it and you start mm-hmm. getting people in your head and you start thinking like, well, I can no longer do these things off instinct and it's total bullshit. You can do, you can run a billion dollar business off instinct if you're good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like getting away from like the textbook. Like, well, now when you get to this point, you do this and that. Yeah. You know, like, if you and and we have absolutely not always followed our instinct. We made so many mistakes yep. not doing that. And so I think that has been the biggest lesson for us. Like, in like Jason saying, like with COVID, it was like the first time where I was. We were like, I was like, f this. Yeah, uh, we were over this. Over it. We need to run how we feel is the right way for us to run our business. Yeah, because I think COVID created that, what I said earlier, that like when it did kick in, where I was like, wait a minute, this whole thing could literally come off the tracks. I was like, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I'm going to do whatever feels right right now. I don't care. I'm not no longer using my upper chakras. I don't care what I see here or think. I'm going to do what feels right. And I'm going to use emotional intelligence and all these decision makings. And in COVID, especially with human, with the human resource aspect of it, retail, like with masks, with everything that was going on, it was like, there's no playbook to this. There's no textbook that says I'm supposed to do this. And people often are like, well, how'd you make decisions? Like we made decisions that emotionally had emotional intelligence and felt right on a human level. That's it. Mm -hmm. Were they right? Were they wrong? Who's to say? I mean, it was just about just trying to be a good human and make those decisions the best you can with those, you know, what you have at hand. Yeah. I love that. I feel like it's also so counterintuitive to like what they teach you at like a business school but I think oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's why so many entrepreneurs like never went to business school some most didn't even go to college you know it's yeah. like Agreed. it's not necessary it's, oh, we, it's did, not. we were just c students that. and that's why we're successful yeah we went to business school the only good thing is we didn't pay attention <laughs> yeah we went to asu and went out four days a week that's what we did oh four <laughs> good for you i was more like six so but anyway i just like i think yeah i do think it can get cluttered because i think mm-hmm. it, i think what it is is people try to take success and they take the path of business success and they try to replicate it and they try to say there's a formula to it so that others can learn it. And I think it's kind of nonsense because everyone has the chance to be successful and could build a business. And it's just a matter of following your own path and mm-hmm. not, we really very rarely look at what anyone else is doing. We are clueless yeah. at times. And probably people even said that, Oh, you can't do that. You got to look at your competitors and what's your market share. I'm like, I don't, don't care. We're just doing what we're doing. And right. we're, we're not yeah. making, I always say like, we're not making music in hopes that we're making the type of music that people will listen to. We're just in our garage jamming and it, it sounds good. People will mm-hmm. naturally organically like that because you're just creating something from an organic place, not because you're, you're, you're trying to manufacture it, right? Yeah, so. and I think there's so many different, really like different details in business and like so many idiosyncrasies where you're like, just because that works for this, that doesn't mean it works for this. It's like, you really have to just kind of feel it out for yourself. Like there really is not a playbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally know it makes agree. It harder. It's like, it obviously makes it harder and it's more stressful, but I mean. Well, and, and listen, institutional investing, which has obviously get, got, you know, inside a lot of these D2C brands and they can't accept that, right? They, they need to hear that it's a formula, which understandably they got a lot of money they're managing, right? Mm-hmm. So 
So then it becomes very scientific. Everything I hear these people, we've got data scientists. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> like I I think it becomes all about just Excel sheets and numbers and and look, those not saying those don't matter, but even that, we would guess and build these sales plans and then we'd sit around the room and talk about why they weren't what we guess. Well, what a waste of time. <laughs> right. Like, I tell people all the time, I'll tell you what our sales will be in August next week when August is over. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I'll be a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like with financial modeling, it's always just like a big guess that never turns out right. Never turns out right. I, I really, I really struggled with it. We, when we started it, it was like, oh, we need to do this. I'm like, yeah. Okay. I guess, I guess it's like the grown up thing to do. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. oh, let's put our big, I'll put my this big pants on and let me do that now. I got to do this modeling. And then every time it was either, it was off, not be, and not in like a bad way necessarily, but even if you were over or you were under, it was like, you were never like really hitting what you predicted because how could you, you're not psychic. Yeah. So I'm like, right. I don't understand. And then it was always some sort of level of disappointment for the team because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And so that it's like that kind of pressure for everyone is so negative and so much stress that's just not necessary. It's just really isn't like, yeah. And obviously you have some idea. I'm not saying you're going to be like, Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. You have right. to plan somewhat, but you have to be open and fluid to what the reality is going to be and then celebrate the reality when it is there. Cause otherwise you're never going to celebrate because you're never going to be right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID exasperated it too, because especially in retail, right? Like we realized, what are we going to do? We're going to set these sales plans and then tell these store managers they have sales plans and that's how they're going to be rewarded and supported when there's no clue. One store might be closed. Another one might, like COVID might not be as affected. I mean, we had stores broken into. I mean, it's like, what, what, how are we going to do that? And it was mm-hmm. like, it really it was, a, it was, again, it was a human emotion decision to say, why don't we just support them and celebrate whatever they're, like trust also too. Like we kept saying, we, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. Well, then why am I giving you some number that telling you you have to do it? If I trust you, then I trust you'll just do the best you can. Right, right. And I mean, like you said, it just, it leads to disappointment because like it never is accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And then other people would get rewarded because maybe they over exceeded some number that was fake anyway. And then other people are like, did phenomenal, but weren't being rewarded or or, or talked about or celebrated because they missed some bullshit number you made up. And it's just silly. It's Mm -hmm. just like, it, it creates a lot of dissension within too. Yeah. And yeah, did so. you guys bootstrap your company or was, did you ever raise money from investors? Because I feel like now it's so common to hear like, oh, we raised like venture capital. And I just, I feel like a lot of times people don't hear the stories of, no, we started this on our own with like no money and we kind of just, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, we listened, we bootstrapped at the beginning. We, you know, we, it's still a private company. We've brought in some small independent investors that are like friends and family type people to kind of help us along the way, but we have, and they've been amazingly supportive. And, and I do think there's been points that you do need that, right. That, right. that help that. And, and some of it isn't always the money. Sometimes it's the guidance you get from some people that have been entrepreneurs and been supportive, but the VC route, I mean, we've, we've, we looked at it a bunch of times. There were some times we really probably should have because we needed to, to stay afloat, but we didn't. And, um, you know, and it's flattering and you get people and they say, Hey, like we, we want to institutionally invest and we can blow your company up and it's all added value. And we, you know, but we've, we've avoided that. And partly again, going back during COVID, 
you know, when COVID first hit, the first thing I thought was, gosh, maybe this is not the best time to be rapidly expanding retail. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but the second thing I thought was, oh man, maybe we should have taken one of those like venture capital offers we've had. And, but I tell you, it, it proved just the same, same thing as always with instincts of not the, the decisions that we had to make during COVID had to be so quick and so instinctive without a lot of explaining. And when people have a lot of institutional money inside companies, like they don't work that way. They do mm-hmm. boards and there's advisory committees and everything has to have approval and blah, blah, blah. And I just was so grateful that we didn't have that and that we can operate like we always have been, which is a family run business. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's so cool. And I mean, even like starting, I feel like a lot of times people think if they want to start a company that's going to be a multi-million dollar company, they have to start raising money from like day one, which you don't have to, like you can start small. And the times that we almost did, right? Like, again, we we went through a, a, a due diligence process pretty significantly, like I guess three or three or four years ago. But part of it is because we started getting focused on plans so then you start, build, it's all cyclical, right? So you start building these sales plans and then you start spending money based on sales plans. Well, then the sales plans miss and then you've spent the money. Then you become, your profitability starts to shrink or go away or you become unprofitable. Then the next thing you turn to is what need to raise money. And I think if you just focus on profitability and growing slower and growing with your profit and letting the profit dictate your growth rate, mm-hmm. if you're, you get, you know, look, it's not for all. There's there certain industries like technology, what's race to the marketplace where you've got to, you've got to go raise money. I get that. But again, if you're building a brand and you're not trying to just run some slick product by someone and you believe in the quality of your product, like we do, and we believe it's going to be around for a long time and you stand behind it. Like, why do you have to raise out grow real quick? Unless you're just trying to help someone else make money. And I I think that that's, again, I think if you just can stick to COVID re I think definitely reinvigorate us back to profitability and just maintaining profitability. And that's how you grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And even when you're starting, like your goal should be to make money and um, be profitable and prove your concept. Cause like, otherwise I don't really understand what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Very elementary, but I'm like, sure. You can raise money, but then you are you making any all the time. How are you functioning business? Like you have to like, and we beat ourselves up too. Like again, especially being in the retail landscape now, right? Like there's a lot of these darlings in the retail space and they've, and I'm like, oh my God. And they're like, they're opening just as many locations as we are, you know? And like, and, blah, blah, blah. and, and like, and you kind of get a little fever friendish. And then you're like, but they raised a hundred million dollars. I hope they're opening as many retail locations as we are. What else are they doing with the money? I don't right. get my head. I can't get my head around these brands. They're raising 30, 40, $50 million. And then they talk about their growth. Like, well, you better be growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you, be, you can't figure out how to go buy Facebook transactions and you just raised $30 million. You got a problem. Yeah. I, I definitely think like with the VC world and like raising money world, the money sounds fake sometimes. It's like this company is a hundred million dollars. I'm like, yeah. what does that and then even we look like? <laughs> the, well, we also associate that then they, 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 that becomes their PR. I get pitched by a lot of these digital companies. It's like, mm-hmm. we just secured our series B. We want to work with you. It's like, uh, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. There's right. a lot of money in the market, right? There's a lot of people who have money and they want places to put it. So raising money is not really complicated in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do you take it? And then I can't imagine when you have that money to be disciplined and then to continue to run profitably, how do you even know? It's just like, uh, you just start spending money on things, just do it. I, it it's, Asking a lot, yeah. Yeah, for us, it was, a, that's not our process. Mm-hmm. 
And what did your days look like in the beginning of your business compared to like what it is now? Because I know we've talked about <laughs> they're exactly the same. So much change. No, they're, but they're the exact COVID brought us back to the days of the beginning where we just like <laughs> sit at home and, and work on our kitchen table. <laughs> I mean, mine are different because I'm not making jewelry anymore. So like there's that. But I still I'm like in, you know, our studio and our creative space, like still like playing with product, looking at samples, merchandising, doing all that. So it's definitely more top level and probably a lot more like for me personally, I didn't spend as much time on my computer early on. I was obviously like much more like physically in the product. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, COVID definitely did bring us back to that. We're like, okay, now we're at home and it's just not so, it's just not so structured and not so overwhelming. Like, I just think like the best thing that's happened is like, it gives everyone the room to work efficiently how they work and just give them that space to breathe and be and if you need to be creative do what you need to do to be creative or whatever it's just like you don't have to be in a meeting and you have to be creative at 3 p.m on a wednesday like it's Mm -hmm. like okay that's kind of hard like i'm not in the mood right now right and being like being the founder and you know having starting with actually making the jewelry and now you have more like a leadership role. Do you still feel creative in that? Like, do you still feel like you have a lot of creativity? It's just like a three-person little creative team that we have. We literally go through every single piece together. I see everything. I like go through all the samples. Like I'm still very, very much like in it. Because I realize with all the things and growing a business, that's my strength. Product mm-hmm. is my <laughs> Like that's where I need to be. Um, and that's what I need to be like, you know, that's where my brain sort of excels. And that's where my focus needs to remain. Like I, nothing really gets like, we're really collaborative. And I'm very much involved in that still because and I that's also what's like the most fulfilling for me. Like I still get excited. It's crazy. It's been 17 years, and I still will get a new sample and be like, Oh, my God, that's the cutest thing I've ever (laughs) seen. And I'm like, how can I get that excited about product? But I do I still love it. I still, you know, it's I'm, I'm definitely a shopaholic. And, and you know, what? it's similar for me too, because early on, like going back to Grace point when like I would call stores, you know, she'd get excited about a design and then I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to call stores. And I had my little pattern. Like I always called stores in the East coast first, of course, because of the time change we're here in California. And I'd always start in the South because people in the South are really nice. You know, even <laughs> if they don't want to talk to you, they talk to you, you know, and then I work my way to the Northeast because people in the Northeast are not so nice. And I can say that I'm from there, you know, they're like, they'll hang up on you. But now it's the difference is instead of just, you know, calling stores and looking and, and I got to learn about markets and we would go to these towns and learn and the geography of all. And now I'm just applying that to retail, really mm-hmm. and looking for places to open our own stores. And I get to meet these amazing people who like teach you about their city and their area and what's cool about it and their passion for the, and the, 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 the change of the development of it and the restaurants that are coming in town and the shopping that's coming there. And it, it's, it's kind of, and I'm just doing it, you know, in the same way I was on my, you know, on my, on my laptop, just like I was at the beginning calling people. So yeah, it's, it's all very full circle. circle because we spent so much time traveling to these little towns when we first started that like, now we're like, Oh, we know what that is. We yeah. like yeah. or even cities. Like we're like, we've, we, we did a road trip through Texas. We know what Dallas and Austin and Houston are like, we like, you know, it's like, it's so funny. Cause like, it's almost really like a full circle moment where you're like, okay, now you're like, actually, not going there to talk to a boutique, you're going there to open your own store. (laughs) So it's just, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's really cool that you guys have been in the weeds of your business. You know, you were the ones that were 
literally physically making the jewelry, calling the stores, like yeah. just you two. And I think that's also what makes it more, I guess, special, successful, whatever you want to call it. Like, because you guys, like, like you said earlier, like nothing was uh, below you, you know, you would yeah. do everything. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people think entrepreneurship is like super glamorous and like, oh, we'll just be like telling people what to do and like, yeah. you know, run this huge <laughs> company. <Gosh>. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's way harder than having a job and where oh, it, yeah. it is the hardest thing because it's just up to you and you have to self-motivate and you have to motivate others. And it's all up to you. It ultimately all just falls on yeah. your shoulders. Yeah, there were some points like when we were struggling before we started this, where it was like, you know, you're having these self-reflection points of like, am I, shit, are we just like lazy? <laughs> like, 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 why are we, like, we're having friends that started having careers and being successful financially, you know, and you go to dinner and they're like starting to spend a lot of money at dinner. And we're like, shit, like we can barely like go to in and out, you know? Yeah. And, and you're kind of like, am I just a loser? <laughs> like maybe all those teachers that said I wasn't going to amount to anything were right, you know? And then you realize it's like, it's all how you're wired. Some people need to be wired by being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we are not wired that way. And what's badass about it is our whole company's wired that way. Because I think the big fallacy is you, you, you think you're wired that way. So then you hire a bunch of people that want to be told to do. No, you want to have a bunch of people working for you that are also wired similarly. We don't want to tell anyone what to do. We want people Nothing. to like, do their thing and then collaboratively work together. Mm-hmm. And, I trust that and trust that we'll all get rewarded if yeah. we all do well and work hard. I love that. Nothing is worse than like having to hire someone and then like doing literally everything right beside them. Cause then like, what's the point? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. We call that, we call that the wind up doll. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. No, (laughs) no, for sure. Before we go, I wanted to ask, what is your biggest piece of advice to someone who, you know, wants to take that leap and start a business and they have just no clue what even starting a business is like? I mean, do your research. Like I will say like, even like this, like I love that we get to share the really like behind the scenes and how hard it is. Like really, really think about like, is this for me? Like mm-hmm. re like, you know, listen to podcasts, read like people's experiences. I'm not talking about like how to do it. I'm just saying like what that feels like, like then really kind of follow your gut and really, and my other thing is like, stay true to you. So it's like, it's kind of weird because you have to like really listen and try to understand like what that's going to be like. But then in terms of like what you actually want to do, even if it's like a new product or whatever, make sure it's like authentic to you. Like don't look at what other people are doing. Like, like if you truly have a passion for something, you go for it. Like, you know, you can, I think, I feel like anyone can do that. Um, I think where it gets murky is when they're like, Oh yeah. Oh, I kind of want to do this, but then I see all these people doing it like this way. So then I'm going to change. And then all of a sudden it's not really authentic to you. And you're not really sticking to what, you know, your passion and your drive is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and look for me, I mean, I'm then again, this is what's cool about even Goriana is we kind of yin and yang. And it's like, I'd kind of say the opposite rather than do all the research and overthink it and, you know, learn. And, and, and I think those things are valuable. I just, I, I've found more success in just doing. Like it's like the bag of Legos get laid out on the floor and you can look at the instructions or you can just start clicking one to the another. And then there's two Legos together. And then there's a third piece and a fourth piece and just be all right with whatever that is. Just be all right with whatever. Don't worry about what you're making. Don't worry about how long it's going to take. Don't worry about whether or not someone's going to like it. Just have Mm -hmm. fun and just create and do and put one baby step in. 
it's, I mean, it's, even though you guys have slightly different answers, it just shows like, there's no one right way. Like there's, (laughs) you can research, you cannot, you can. Yeah. That's actually the better answer is do what's ever right for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, but I will say, I do think the biggest thing, and I'm not saying like, I want to do, I do want to be clear. I'm not saying read and figure out how to do something. I'm saying like, really analyze like the lifestyle and like what it takes to do something on your own. Because I think to your point earlier, I think there's a big, huge mis like conception of what that actually is and what that requires. And I think really being like, yeah, no, I'm in this. Like if I have to work 14, 20 hours a day, I will do that because like, I am that passionate about it. It's not, it's, there's definitely not, this is not a skate in the park by any means. Like is you are literally working, working, working the hardest you ever will work. And so I think that is like my main hurdle. And if you're up for that, then you can start doing going brick, brick by brick and building it how you see fit. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. Well, thank you both for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you and where can they also shop Oriana? Goriana.com uh, or one of our current 21 retail locations, 15 are in California, one's in Arizona, uh, three are in New York, one's in Chicago, one is in Austin. Nice. Any any in Miami coming soon? That's right. Ah, Miami. We're definitely, That's, we're definitely That's a separate call. Yeah. We should oh, have I'll tell you really quickly though. <laughs> when we opened our fourth store, we 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 opened Olita in in New York. It was our fourth store. This was three and a half years ago. And we went to Miami afterwards because I was like, the store number five is gonna be Miami. So what I want you to know is we've been looking at Miami. We're just waiting for the right spot, but yeah. it's been on our list for a while. We love Miami, love yeah, South we love Florida. Miami. Awesome. Well, let me me know whenever it opens up here. (laughs) All right. We will do for sure. Thank you so much. We're really grateful for you having taken the time and have us on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the Mom Room Podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.